God will do exactly what He says He'll do. Lazarus was so happy. I just know He said, I sure don't miss that too, and I don't miss being dead. appreciate everybody being here this morning. Uh, uh, it's already been worth our, worth our effort to be here. We've already been able to feel the Lord's Spirit, and uh, we just uh, appreciate our kids this morning, and uh, we appreciate the Lord this morning. You know, it's, uh, it's a troubling time in our world right now. It's troubling all the time, but, you know, more than ever. And uh, But I, I appreciate having that peace and comfort I have that no matter what happens, uh, someday I'm going to heaven. And I got that assurance when I was a 12-year-old boy, and I appreciate that. It's just such a peace and comfort to know that no matter what happens here, I'm going to heaven someday. I hope everybody here can say that, and uh, I just I appreciate being able to say that this morning. I'm going to ask uh, Brad, you want to dismiss us? Good morning. Good to see everybody today. I am not Carl. You all knew that. Carl's, Carl's sick, so let's remember him. 
uh, talked to him a couple of times this week, and he had actually he had asked me Wednesday night, I think even before he was feeling bad about possibly teaching this week, and uh, I told him I would look at it, and I read through this, and uh, I got to tell you, for me, this is a hard lesson. Uh, Carl had even said said that uh, anytime that I'm dealing with prophecies out of the Bible, uh, those seem to be really tough. I know Carl. Uh, a few years ago had asked me to teach once and it was out of Ezekiel and boy that's hard stuff for me I, I, I you know admire people that can just read right through it and get it real easy seems like there are some but uh, it doesn't fall my lot that way so I ask for your prayers uh, let's certainly remember Carl hopefully he'll be back uh, next Sunday and teach uh, I've, I've got a couple of thoughts on this lesson and so I appreciate God giving me something uh, I can get up here and say some words, but uh, they don't mean anything if God doesn't come through. Um, and uh, I certainly, uh, everybody knows this, but I admire and respect Carl so much because of what he's able to dig out of these lessons week after week and his knowledge. So miss him when he's not here and extra miss him when I have to try to teach. But uh, So we're in Habakkuk, uh, which is a, one of the listed as one of the 12 minor prophets and so we'll talk a little bit uh, you know I, my approach to uh, the Bible anytime is okay who wrote this and who were they writing it to and what was the timing and and what you know was going on uh, politically and and spiritually in the world at that time and so there's very little known about Habakkuk uh, really, we've got these three chapters of, of uh, his book here that are in the Minor Prophets, and uh, he's got this prophecy, uh, and you know it, it lines up with some some of the other prophets of that time, but we don't know a whole lot about him other than this book. Um, there are some, and and I thought this was interesting. There is a, a pretty common uh, thought that Habakkuk was probably one of the people who sang in the temple because uh, if you read through his three chapters here they do have sort of a, a song sort of verse to them uh, the way they're written so that may or may not be the case uh, there's nothing scriptural that says that but I thought it was kind of interesting so who are Habakkuk's contemporaries well uh, before him uh, was Isaiah and somewhere close to around the same time as him uh, was Jeremiah, uh, and there were some other minor prophets. Uh, but this prophecy, uh, his may have been, uh, certainly not Isaiah's, but his of the ones that were right there in that time frame that were prophesying that Israel was going to be uh, beaten and carried down into captivity into Babylon, Habakkuk's might have been the first one. And the reason I say that is in chapter 1, uh, there's a mention that his prophecy was, was a surprise to the people. Uh, and certainly after they'd been hearing it and heard it from Jeremiah and, and heard it from some of the other prophets, it probably became less of a surprise. They may still not have believed it, but it probably became less of a surprise. So as we get into chapter 2 here, where we're at is Habakkuk has had this vision. He's had a, and he's getting ready at the beginning of chapter 2, and then he starts writing it. And this 
is certainly a prophecy about what is going to happen to the Chaldeans or the Babylonians, same, same group of people. Uh, after they uh, carry the Israelites down into bondage and hold them for a number of years, and there were probably three or maybe four times that the Babylonians went into Israel and captured a group of them and carried them as slaves back into Babylonia. Um, and so, but this is right probably before any of that has happened is my thought. And so with prophecy, as with anything in the Bible, but especially with prophecy, there is a natural application. I mean, this is actually talking, and whether or not the Chaldeans ever read it, I don't know. But there is a, certainly uh, this was available for the, the children of Israel who were going through this. Uh, but there's a natural application. So there's a natural side to this. But there's also, in my opinion, a very spiritual application to what this prophecy is about. If there wasn't, it would, I'm not saying that it wouldn't be included in the Bible, but it would seem pretty limited if we were just looking back, seeing what the natural application was. So as I try to go through this, um, we'll start in verse 6 in chapter 2 of Habakkuk. As I try to go through this, I'm first going to address or try to address what I think the natural application and what this actually means for the Chaldeans and then we know history, we can now look back and say, yeah, and that occurred. But I'm going to try to address the spiritual. I hope that if you've got comments or thoughts on some of this, that uh, you'll, you'll certainly speak up. Uh, I, like, I, I enjoy teaching, but I like to have a very interactive process. So if you've got a question or a comment, uh, see something differently than I do, uh, chime right in, and we'll certainly try to discuss it. And we appreciate everybody, appreciate Doug being here and, and having the live stream going today, and we appreciate everybody watching from home. So, um, all right. So chapter 6, or I'm sorry, uh, verse 6, chapter 2, Habakkuk. Shall not all things take up a parable against him and a taunting proverb against him and say, Woe to him that increaseth that which is not his. How long, question, and to him that ladeth himself with thick clay. Now, so we start right off here, and I want to tell you that the him that this is referring to in this verse, in my opinion, is speaking figuratively uh, or collectively of uh, the Chaldeans, the Babylonians. This is referring, it's referring to him, but it's referring to a country. And so it's saying, it's kind of interesting, uh, there's, there's two or three places in this lesson where it says woe, and those are, that's kind of drawn my attention to those woes, but uh, woe to him that increaseth that which is not his. Uh, and so from a natural standpoint, what Habakkuk is saying here is, they're going to come and sack our country, and they're going to carry us away, and we're going to be their slaves, but they're going to have naturally a day of reckoning. Again, talking about the Babylonians. The Babylonian country, uh, they're going to have a natural day of reckoning, and we can look now and we can see that, yep, they in fact did. They were later conquered by somebody else, and when they were conquered, 
that king let the children of Israel go back home. And a lot of them did go back home. And all of the gain that they had obtained by conquering Israel, they lost it all. And so, uh, and, he, and he's saying that right here. Yep, you, you're going you're gonna to have a heavy hand on us right now, but there's going to come a time when you're going to lose all of that. All right. And so that's, you know, that with it increaseth that which is not his. Um, and then, and to him that ladeth himself with thick clay. Now, there's, the commentaries have got two or three different thoughts on this thick clay. And I will say that just from a natural standpoint, I'm not 100% sure what this means. But we can certainly conclude by this verse that he's, it goes right along with stealing and increasing your goods by taking something that doesn't belong to you. This is somebody that's building up their natural wealth, again, the Babylonians, building up the wealth of their country on the backs of somebody else that they've conquered. All right. So I, I don't know if anybody else has a, a thought on the, on the thick clay from a natural standpoint. I do want to address it from a spiritual standpoint in a minute. But does anybody have a further comment or thought on that just from a natural standpoint of what that might mean? Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And so essentially tipping the scales, stealing, taking something that isn't yours through fraud. I mean, not yeah. through a strong-armed approach, but just through fraud. Uh, and so, that, yeah, that fits perfectly into this. So I, I appreciate that. So uh, let's talk about spiritually what does this mean. Um, and my thoughts went uh, right away uh, to John chapter 10 and verse 1. I've got that scripture here in my in my phone. So, woe to him that increaseth that which is not his, and to him that ladeth himself with thick clay. So I've got an idea on, on both of these. So, John 10 and 1, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. All right. So, from a spiritual standpoint, if you're looking at this scripture, I, I know it's got the natural, but I think that this is already starting to talk, and it's saying, "Whoa! If you're not going about salvation the right way, boy, you got a problem. If you're trying to increase this life, and we're told if we would gain the whole world but lose our soul, what would we trade?" You know, there's nothing to trade. That's a bad. That's a bad trade, and uh, so I think that fits in here real well. And then I thought about the the laden with thick clay. Certainly, this you know we refer to this body, this flesh, as the clay made from the dust. And there's lots of scriptures that that go along with that. Um, 
in 2 Corinthians 4 and 7, says this, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. So if we're counting on how much money we can make, if we're relying on this, this guy to satisfy what we need for salvation, woe unto us because we're going to come up short. There's no way we're going to get there. And I, and I know everybody gets that, but I, I didn't. The first few times I read this, I got to tell you, I was struggling with this when I was looking at it, but I appreciate God giving me those thoughts. Um, the other thing that uh, anytime I'm dealing with the clay and, when, and, and talking about laden himself with thick clay, uh, my brother-in-law Donnie preached about Pharaoh once here years ago. This was before he was pastoring over at Lafayette. And he preached about uh, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And he said, I've always wondered why God would harden somebody's heart. But he made such a great point that God called to Pharaoh and gave him an opportunity. But Pharaoh said no and turned away from that and just kind of put another layer of, I guess, flesh, if you'll have it that way, between him and God, relying on himself and not what God was telling him. So I think we can build up, and this, this scripture to me, the, that laden with thick clay, we can just build up so much of what our own uh, thoughts and our own earthly things between us and God, we can laden uh, ourselves with thick clay and get it so thick that, you know, God can still break it, but, you know, we've got to be able to hear what he's telling us. And so uh, that's my thoughts on those. Anybody else have a comment on, on those that verse before we move on? Okay, so this is still talking to the hymn uh, that uh, we referred to in verse 6. Uh, but then it's talking about the people that they have conquered. So, shall they not rise up suddenly that shall bite thee, and awake that shall vex thee, and thou shalt be for booties unto them. And booties is uh, what you would gain if you won a battle and took over a country. All right. So, this is saying, you know, woe unto him that increaseth. Uh, and again, this is talking to the Chaldeans, and, and they're saying, your end is going to come quickly. Uh, these people that you have conquered and you've treated so badly, they're going to rise up and bite you. They're going to awaken. You know, they're going to realize, man, we can we can rise up here and, and kind of turn the tables. And everything that you've carried down into Babylon, you're going to lose. Well, again, historically, we can see that that, that, that did happen. Okay. So in looking at verse 7 couple of things here that, that stuck out to me, and it's uh, when, I, when I see the term suddenly bite makes me think of a serpent. All right, I, I don't know, I mean, somebody, it doesn't have to be a serpent, but to me that just, it just kind of stuck out that way. I mean, sin is one of those things that you can be going along in life, and if you're not saved, and if you're not paying attention, and you're just trying to build up as much as you can, Naturally, sin is one of those things that'll get you real quick. I mean, we all know that you know anybody's life can change real suddenly, but 
sin will rise up and, and bite you just real quick when you're not expecting it. And then the second phrase here, in awake that uh, shall vex thee. Um, I really wonder if that awake is talking about death. I think that it probably is. I think that this, this verse, that you could really apply it to sin and death. Uh, but, uh, and shall take thee uh, for booties uh, unto them. So if you're fighting and you haven't given in to God, when sin and death make their call on you, everything you've got, just like I said, if you've gained the whole world, what will you trade for your soul? Everything that you've accomplished is going to be gone. When that, when that battle is concluded, you're going to lose if you don't have Christ as your Savior. And you're going to lose everything. You know, there's a scripture that says, uh, mighty is the fall. Uh, it's going to be a mighty fall uh, if you don't have Christ as your Savior. Anybody have any comments on that? And that, you know, I was, uh, appreciate those comments, Roger, and I was talking about it from a, a lost perspective, but this same thing applies just as you were saying, you know, we have to reprioritize all the time and make sure our prior, I do, make sure my priorities are right. Um, boy, it doesn't take, sometimes, you know, I can get them right in the morning and by lunchtime they're, you know, out of kilter again. Uh, so really good uh, comments. Anybody else? Okay, so, and then verse 8, again, this is back to the, to the Chaldeans, because thou hast spoiled many nations. Naturally, they were going out conquering, and Israel was one of the, you know, uh, the countries that they, that they conquered. All the remnant of the people shall spoil thee. So what's left of these, you know, these nations you've conquered? They're going to rise back up, which might have been a hard thing for the, the Chaldeans to to think at the time that they're out with a strong army and conquering these people and they're beating them and there's nothing left. There's just a small remnant. And, you know, I know 
uh, Trey has preached on that, that remnant uh, a few times and loves that. There's several scriptures that talk about a remnant. But, you know, God has left a remnant. He's left the church in, in this world uh, to try to be a light uh, to this world. Uh, so he's telling, telling the Babylonians, these people are going to come back. Because of men's blood, they've killed a lot of people just naturally, and for the violence of the land, of the city, and of all that dwell therein. So prophesying to them, you got a day coming. Well, again, if we're not saved, we've got a judgment coming that we're not going to like. If we are saved and we're not living for God, we're going to pay for that. There's, there's a day coming. So, all right. So any any comments as we, that's kind of the first, you know, there in verse 6 is that first woe. And so from 6, 7, and 8, that kind of addresses that first, hey, look out here, you got judgment coming. All right. So any comments or questions or anything anybody wants to add before we move on to, to the next one? Okay. Appreciate your prayers. Woe. To him that coveteth an evil covetousness to his house, that he may set his nest on high, that he may be delivered from the power of evil. So, saying, whoa, look out. Well, look out for what? Evil covetousness. All right. Now, Kind of interesting that they put the word evil there. We're told thou shalt not covet in the Ten Commandments. Um, so does that mean that it's wrong if, you know, if I, if I see Doug has driven in in a new Cadillac, is that wrong for me to go, wow, that's a nice car. I wish I had a car like that. I don't, I mean, that, I suppose I could put that to a place that it was wrong. But I think it's okay for me to look and say, boy, Doug's got a nice car. Or, you know, Billy's got a nice house. Or this, I mean, I think that's okay. But when we take that to the point that we're willing to, and, and that's, what, that's what they did here, the Babylonians, they put their needs before everybody else's and really, I mean, even to the point of taking everything that they had, conquering their country, and making them slaves just to continue to increase their riches. That's what the Babylonians are doing here to the Israelites and, and to other countries. Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. And it's back to what kind of what Roger was saying. It's, it's where's our heart? You know, where, where's your heart? And, and for me, and Roger said for him, man, I have to reprioritize and try to make sure that I've got that straight on a regular basis. I'm not saying I got to go get saved again. I'm saved. But my heart can easily get led astray by these eyes. I can see something and, and then that becomes more important to me than where my thoughts should be, praying and, you know, asking God to help our lost and, you know, help our church and help our pastor. And uh, there's a lot of things that can get in front of, of that and they shouldn't be. God wants to bless us. I mean, he's glad for us to have things if we keep them in the right perspective. But... The Chaldeans here, certainly, I mean, which I don't believe they were, as a nation, I don't believe they were a Christian nation. 
And so there's a natural side to this. They'd come and conquered them. And, and again, Habakkuk is saying, because of the covetousness that you've had and just desiring to just do nothing but build your coffers uh, and just become so strong that you don't have to rely on anything or anybody else in your own mind, you're going to have problems. Woe unto you. So let's look at this a little bit more in depth. Woe to him that coveteth, coveteth an evil covetousness to his house. To the point that, why, why is he doing this? That he may set his nest on high. Well, we're, you know, when you, the eagle who can put his nest at the highest point feels really safe up there. He's built that nest up there and he's at a spot where nothing can get to him. All right? So... That's what the, the Chaldeans were, they were conquering and building and thinking, we're going to build this so strong that nothing's going to get to us. We're going to be safe, okay? That he may be delivered from the power of evil. They, they're, they're thinking they're going to do it themselves. And just like I said earlier, if we rely on this guy, we can gain the whole world, but what are we going to trade for our soul? There's nothing to trade. And so... Again, telling the Chaldeans that uh, woe unto you for this covetousness and, and building up things uh, that weren't yours, okay? So let's read verse 10. Uh, Thou hast consulted shame to thy house by cutting off many people and hath sinned against thy soul. And so uh, the commentary here on that sinned against thy soul uh, I don't think that they had it lined up exactly right. What What is a sin against your soul? Well, that's certainly a, that's, that's a sin, but I don't think that affects my soul. I think it affects my flesh. But I, I think... And, and, and maybe I'm wrong, and I, I'll just lay this out there. I mean, I think there's only one sin against the soul. And that's blasphemy against the Holy Ghost. It's the only unforgivable sin. If we don't, and if we don't believe that Christ, you know, born of a virgin and lived and died and resurrected, and that's our only hope, then that's a sin against the soul. That's the one thing that's going to ultimately... This, you know, bring destruction on our soul. And, and I agree with what you're saying. Certainly, if we don't pay attention, that, that's a sin. It affects this flesh, but that never gets to my soul. Once I'm saved, that's sealed. I, is that, you, you, you think that's, that's okay, Roger? Anybody else have a, a comment on that? 
You know, there's there's plenty of scriptures, and I didn't write one down. I thought about a couple of them, but uh, this here in verse ten. Thou hast consulted shame on thy house by cutting off many people and has sinned against your soul. There's plenty of scriptures that, that make it real clear that what we do is going to affect our people and our lineage. You know, uh, and, and I can't get saved for my kids. They've got to get saved for themselves. But if I, you know, I brought them to church and, and tried to have them here where that, that was presented and we tried to talk about it and make sure they understood it was important, but they still had to make that decision. Um, but, um, you know, from a natural standpoint, what the Chaldeans did and then God's judgment that later came on them, it certainly affected their country. I mean, they, they could have gone about this a different way, but from a spiritual standpoint, if we don't get saved and, and live correctly in front of our children and our family, it will have an impact on them. There's just no two ways about that. It will have an impact on them. And if we do get saved and live correctly in front of them, that will have an impact on them. Doesn't mean they're going to be guaranteed that they're going to be saved, but it will definitely have an impact on them. All right. So uh, verse 11. For the stone shall cry out of the wall, and the beam out of the timber shall answer it. What in the world does that mean? <laughs> so Carl and I talked about this a little bit, and uh, he actually told me that Brent had been at his house and had, had talked to him a little bit. And I, I appreciated the conversation because it, it kind of headed me in a direction. I'll tell you my thoughts on it, and then I'll, I'll open that up um, uh, to you. And this is still falling under that woe to him that coveteth and evil covetousness to his house. I mean, that's what this is, is, this is kind of finishing up that. So, uh, for the stone shall cry out of the wall. And so, uh, let's turn over, if you want to, to Luke. Uh, chapter 19. In verse 37 through 40. And when he was come nigh, this is talking about Jesus, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all of the mighty works they had seen saying, Blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. What a, a wonderful time you know, that must have been. Uh, but always some naysayers. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. Tell them to, tell them to be quiet. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these if his disciples should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. So he was very close to the point here of completely fulfilling the law. He had lived it to a jot and a tittle, and he was coming right down to the point in just a few days he was going to be the sacrifice that would completely fulfill and satisfy the law, the last sacrifice that's needed. And so he's, he's telling the Pharisees that are very 
much uh, engaged in the law and wanting to make sure that the law was fulfilled and, and followed, but really, I think, didn't have a whole lot of understanding. They were looking at it from a very natural standpoint. But he's telling them that if I did tell my disciples not to you know, extol my glory, that even these stones would speak out and would talk about my glory and would, would be saying the same thing. So he, he didn't rebuke his disciples. He let, them, uh, he let them continue their praises and their glory. So uh, my thoughts on this are this. Um, you know, we've got two points in time that meet at Calvary. Um, and, of course, I believe that Christ was as a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Okay, so I'm not saying that his grace didn't go back all the way to Adam because I believe that it did. But I believe that from a time, a natural time perspective, that the law church, which was from Adam down to Christ, and the grace church, which was was from Christ after, which are all part of the same thing. uh, And and Brother Denny's taught that in Sunday school here several times. But the beams on uh, the wings on those cherubims of gold meet over the mercy seat. There's no gap between those two churches. They meet at the cross. But I think that's what's really going on here. I don't know if the Pharisees realized it, but I'll try to explain what I'm I'm saying. And that is law is represented by the Ten Commandments, which are ten requirements that were spelled out in stone. They're represented by stone. All right? And grace is represented by the cross, okay? And so I think in this scripture here, in verse 11, uh, when Habakkuk is writing this, I think he is prophesying about the coming and the death of Jesus Christ, the satisfaction of the law, and the fulfillment and the offering of grace to everybody. So let's go back and read that, and and I'll try to explain why. For the stone shall cry out of the wall, Law is saying we need somebody to fulfill us. No man has been able to do it. The law was perfect and just and good. The, the problem with the law was, was man. It wasn't the law. So law is crying out. The stones are crying out, representing that law. Somebody fulfill us. And who answers? And the beam out of the timber shall answer it. That's the cross. So the law cries out, and the cross, grace, answers that. So Christ didn't do away with the law. He fulfilled it. So the law is still there, and grace is still there. He put them together so that there's a a completion. And so both churches, as I was saying, the the law church and the grace church, represented by those cherubims over the mercy seat, their wings touch, made out of the same piece of gold. So grace goes all the way back to Adam, and the law goes all the way down to the last man, but they're fulfilled in Christ. Okay, so I hope that I explained that so that you can understand it. But those, those I think Christ was telling those Pharisees, and I, I wonder sometimes if the Pharisees got how deep the message was that Christ was trying to tell them. But I think Christ was telling the Pharisees, the law 
would be screaming my praises if my disciples weren't screaming my praises because I've satisfied this law that you want to build everything upon. But there's more to it than that. There's, there's grace, and it's getting ready to come to everybody uh, from the cross. But I, I don't know, I really doubt if the Pharisees got it, but uh, it would be interesting to, to know if they did. Anybody have any comments on that? Okay. I hope I lined that up correctly. That, that's what God gave me on that, and I appreciated, uh, I don't know if that's anywhere near where Brent was at when he was talking to Carl, but I appreciated Carl giving me that uh, to kind of head me in that direction. Uh, but I, I, I got a real blessing in, in studying that, so I hope that's a help to you. So verse 12, Woe to him that buildeth a town with blood and establisheth a city by iniquity. Again, from a natural standpoint, that's what the Chaldeans were doing, uh, not literally mixing men's blood into the mortar, but they were building it on the blood of the people that they conquered and certainly was a, an ungodly, uh, unmoral uh, process the way that they were building their kingdom. Behold, it is not of the Lord of hosts that the people shall labor in the very fire, you know, the fire that they're using to build the, make the bricks and the mortar and the things like that. They were using slaves to do that. The Israelites and the other countries that they had conquered. And the people shall weary themselves for very vanity. For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. At the end of this, everybody around looking saw that the Babylonians... Uh, got their day of reckoning, all right? But even this last verse, uh, if you look at it, the earth, this man, shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. If I turn my life over to him and get saved, he's going to fill this vessel as the waters cover the sea. And so um, anybody have any comments, any questions, anything you want to add or ask? All right, I appreciate everybody's attention. Uh, Brother Carl will be back next week, I hope. Get well, Carl. Uh, I offered to go get him some medicine yesterday. I'm trying to help him out. But, uh, but no, let's really, let's pray for him. I know he's not feeling well. So hopefully he'll be back next week. I appreciate uh, your attention. Let's really pray for our service today.